I'll say it more broadly because this is a concept I've thought about a lot. And if I ever did write a book, it'd be something like this. Put a gun to anyone's head in the country. I don't care how big, slow, whatever, and say, move your body 26.2 miles or I'm blowing your head off. Like, you're going to get a lot of people running marathons. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Founder's Journey Podcast. I'm Greg Moran. I'm Peter Dean. We're founders who struggle the same way every other founder does. Our goal is to let founders tell their own stories, the successes and the setbacks, the good stuff and the not so good stuff, sharing what it means to go on this entrepreneurial journey. This is part inspiration, part knowledge and learnings from everyday founders to make your journey a bit easier. Welcome back to the Founder's Journey Podcast. Greg Moran here with my esteemed co-host, Peter Dean. How's it going? Good, good. We've got a guest today that's going to make us all feel lazy because of, of what he's done with his life. Certainly an inspiration gotten to know really well over the past few years. So this is going to be a fun, a fun interview with a, uh, with a super interesting guy. Wanted to uh, welcome Damien Costa to the podcast. Hey, Damien. How are we doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to give my explanation, my quick background of Damien. And full disclosure, Damien and I are actually partners in a uh, company that we're working on right now called Conquer, which is a uh, super interesting software company in the sales enablement space. But Damien's background before Conquer, kind of working backwards, was uh, running the family office for the founder of probably one of the, and I'll let Damien tell the story, but probably one of the best known brands in the world and running uh, the private investments of that individual with uh, with a firm called Sagamore Ventures has run businesses like whiskey companies. I think there's a salad dressing stuck in there somewhere. And even before that, Damien was a member of the U.S. Navy. SEAL Team 6 is what we call the lay people of the world. But Damien said that's not actually. So Damien, what's the right name for Navy SEAL Team 6? Well, I, I think that's a that's a great it's a great question. There's a media reality that is pre and post Bin Laden getting killed. Like prior to that event, you would never have heard those words mentioned in the public with any frequency. It was a very you know it was a very sensitive name for a command that didn't exist, right? And so coming up in the ranks of the SEAL teams, and, and to be fair, I spent nearly 12 years in the Navy and only you know, the last kind of quarter of that or third of that was it was the Naval Special Warfare Development Group. That's how I refer to the command. And if someone wants to refer to it differently, you can Google or do your thing. So Navy Special Warfare Development Group, and, and the abbreviation for that is DevGru, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's a different place with a uh, a different uh, a different path to to go on there. You know, we like to kind of keep that chapter um, or that command. We like to kind of keep them a little bit insulated from the public eye as best we can. And you know, look at the end of the day, a lot of what we you know all should be concerned about with operational security or opsec is that you've got people out there. You know, obviously protecting the country and, and, and doing great things, not just in the military, but the law enforcement agencies and things like that. You just want to be very, very careful that we don't we don't lead people down paths to where they can they can find too much stuff about what these folks are or where they are or things like that. Yeah. So, but but at that with that said, I mean, I think that there's definitely been enough, you know, spoken about in, in the public eye. I mean, I kind of, right before in this, I just was curious. It's been a while since I googled those words, and I did, and there was you know the Wikipedia page. And there's all this stuff. <laughs> so the eight people that don't know, but um. You know, what's interesting, I think, is you joked about like the eight people who don't know, right? Well, one of the reasons that people know that name is so many people have gotten out of those elite forces, whether it's the SEALs or others, and really built careers, you know, continuing to tell that story, right? And I know that's something that you've kind of had an opinion on, but it's also not a direction that you've really chose to go. This, I think, is actually the first time you're really kind of telling the story sort of publicly to whatever extent this podcast is actually publicly. You're safe. <laughs> we, we, we probably have eight people and hopefully those people are the ones that did know. But I think, Greg, you know, look, it, it first of all, it's, it's been great working with you for the last 
you know, gosh, we're, we're six, nine months now. We're doing some good stuff together and it's super fun. And uh, we can get into that later. But, you know, you kind of your opening, your opening question there, your opening volley is an interesting one. Like, why, why is this the first time I've really come out and, and talk, you know, about that, that part of my life? I do remember one time I talked to like some seventh graders or sixth graders and I had some pictures. Someone had asked me, it was like a, you know, troubled class and that sort of thing. So it was something that bordered on like scared straight. <laughs> if you don't straighten yourself out, you're going to end up just like me. Is that was this or was that the, the lesson? <laughs> Unfortunate situation. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of reasons, right? And, and one, I think um, I'm not ashamed to say I'm 47 and a half years old. I have a one and a half year old and a, a five-year-old, near almost five-year-old. And and so I, you know, I waited a while before I took that journey to have kids. And I think it was that moment where you, you start to think, start to, that and getting older, you start to sort of reconcile with that, these different parts of your life. And, and as I started to get older and, and reach this point in my, my career as well, where I'm not, I'm not as focused on you know, kind of the next, let me, let me just quickly get to the next thing, but I'm really kind of retrospectively looking back and, and in retrospect, trying to understand how all the stuff that I've done have led to this moment. Cause I'm getting to an age where, you know, we all start to think about more about what's like the next chapter, like taking, doing less versus how do I keep doing more? And in that exercise, you know, you, you, I had to make peace with this nearly 12 year chapter of my life. And so how I talk about with my kids, what, what does it mean to me? How did it influence where I am today? It's kind of what we're talking about. You know? mm -hmm. Honestly, there's probably a lot of reasons. I, I can't put my finger on one thing and say, you know, there was something that happened. And as a result, I don't talk about my experience in SEAL Team. It's not that. It probably, if anything was, I needed to establish myself as something other than that. Right. I mean, if you guys can imagine, and it's gotten out of control this these last 10, 10, 15 years, you know, but it's probably the equivalent of playing for you know, some very famous professional sports team. And like you walk out of that stadium into that crowd and like everywhere you go, when people ask you what you do, you're like, I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, it's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, uh, and so when you, when you leave that identity, and you have to go establish a new identity. You know, you can do that, but you need to really focus on establishing a new identity. And I think I have absolutely no, uh, just for the record, I have no issues with anybody writing anything about their time or or, or promoting themselves in that way. I, I'm not one of those people who um, who believes that you know you shouldn't well, you shouldn't talk about it or you shouldn't be successful based on that. I just don't believe it. I think that I've always said it this way. I've never heard anybody criticize a general or an admiral for writing a memoir or a book. And I've heard plenty of people criticize an E5 or E6. And I think it's completely unfair, especially if they go through the proper channels and get proper approvals from the Pentagon and they have every right to write a book. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I just, you know, I, I wanted a, a very, very clean and clear break between the accomplishments of the first 12 years of my life. And then now the accomplishments of, you know, the next sort of chapters of my life. And, uh, that's probably it. You made this transition, right? You you went from you're the NFL, the Major League Baseball, the Premier League of the military, right? And then you make this transition into the business world. I mean, what talk about that a little bit? Like, you know, what made you kind of say, "Hey, I'm going to start down this path"? Because you 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 immediately, I think, as a founder, right, came right? out as a founder, right, and yeah. and started. And you know, what was the journey there what was kind of the impetus behind that so i think it's if you haven't noticed the world hasn't noticed that the most entrepreneurial group in the military for better or worse are definitely the the u.s navy seal teams i mean these these cats are on we're entrepreneurial through and through whether it's thinking through how to use gear change gear find ways to do things we are an entrepreneurial bunch and uh, we're not we're not big on on the long term planning the kind of things that you would see in that big structured corporate environment. Mm -hmm. um, when I got out, 
you know, it was important for me to go, like I said, and do something completely different. But the, the choices that I had at the time were go work for a contractor. And by the way, do the exact same thing for a little bit more money, but not, but nowhere near as cool. You're talking a military uh, contractor, right? You're not right. talking about contractor going out building buildings. You're talking about privatized yeah. military. So you can show right back up into those, those places you're not in use, but you know, getting paid by the day, um, a day late and, you know, I'm doing some of the things that we didn't really want to do. So you could do that. And those jobs were wide open. It was a pick up the phone and you're on a plane fast as you want to be on a plane making money. The second thing would be to take some sort of government job in the same vein. Um, but when you think about those two things, it's kind of like, why would I leave the coolest job in the entire world? It's like, why would I leave playing for the Dallas Cowboys to go like, no offense, like work at some high school football. You know what I mean? It's just, you just kind of want to do the next thing. And so that kind of left me with, well, I could go get a job at a big corporate world. And and just was, I don't know. That didn't feel, I didn't feel right. Starting at the bottom again, working my way. I was 30. You know, I had all this experience. I I didn't want to go to some management training program. So I had this opportunity to start a company with my brother. That was crazy. So crazy. Do you want to talk about like culture shock? Imagine, if you will, working with people who, well, one, they can't get fired, but two, these are the most highly screened humans on the planet. You're screened to be a SEAL and then screened again to get to the thing where I was. And I mean, I was the worst (laughs) in this this group as far as like accountability and everything else. I was a little bit of of a wise guy. So so when you go from that to the service industry, like, hey, and my, I remember my brother was my partner. I'm like, this person didn't show up. We just obviously we're just going to fire him. He's like, well, they have a book of business that's like, you know, this big. Like, we can't fire him. And they, they just gave us a middle finger. You know, now looking back, you're, imagine your top sales producer, right? And you're like, that guy's a jerk. That girl's a jerk. You know, like, meh, I know. <laughs> so you know i'm like wow this is going to be really really hard to to manage like the service industry yeah i lasted you know better part of i guess six seven years doing that with my brother Mm -hmm. but boy that was a fitness business right a fitness wellness we we were pretty early into the wellness game and we had built a few physical locations, but what we found was building programs for corporations. This is important to the next chapter of my life, but yep. building programs and then tying those programs into the, into the benefits for companies that are, you know, self-insured was way more scalable than leasing space and leasing yep. yeah. and like doing that whole game. Totally. So, and we, and our focus is always programmatic. Like we wanted to have, you know, humans that could deliver, great content and great training to affect real change for people versus the puppy mill model of like, let me open up this cheap box and like watch the up in January then pray and it'll come back right for the rest of the year. If it's like in January. So, you know, we did something completely opposite and, and try to focus on, you know, first these individuals that really wanted to, to affect change in their life in a positive way and on the health side, and then going into companies. And this is in like 2006 when, Biggest Loser and Smoking Cessation programs were, were wellness, right? So, and one of those companies, you know, fortunately was uh, was Under Armour. You know, I got to know founder very, very well. We became super close friends. And that like, you know, directly my next my next role after that. I had a quick stop in business school to get, get my MBA in there. But once I got that, then I, I went and joined, joined, the, yeah, joined the next thing, so. The really interesting part of this is the correlation, right, between those characteristics of successful founders and 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 where you were, you know, prior to that. And I think because that there's been a lot written about that kind of thing, right? Is this sort of you know Navy SEAL mindset, you know, whatever. But before we get there, talk about that experience with Kevin. I know you you and I have we've we've talked about this a bunch and. I mean, to say it was a varied bunch of industries, like, I mean, would be the understatement of the century. <laughs> yes. God, software was in there somewhere. I probably would have had a free <laughs> for Calicrew. I still, still kind of do. Yeah. You know, it was, it was an interesting time. I, 
I had initially a conversation with Kevin and before there was a semblance of an office, we spent time talking through some of these ideas that he had. They were really, really cool ideas to build these next kind of cool, iconic companies that had a Maryland tie and, and could, could create jobs in Maryland and be great for Maryland. So just to be clear, this is Kevin Plank, who's the founder of Under Armour, who's based in, in Baltimore. I should back up and, and just say that like I left the, the startup world you know, and, and got my MBA. And then I went to join Kevin Plank, the founder, CEO at the time of Under Armour, you know, in my SCUA, keep it all in there. And yeah, and it, and it was, it was fun, man. You know, when I, when I joined full-time, there was the, there was an early, you know, very, very early stage, uh, spirits business became Sagamore Spirit. He had someone running that, just to be clear, I never ran Sagamore Spirit. That you know, Great guy running that. I, I did help him early on with, Things like, uh, you know, hey, how many trucks are going to maybe needed to come and pick up slop from the production and the grain? Like, we were working through a lot of these sort of process things that you do, you know, with this, those problems you do in your business school, right? So, in budgets and forecasting and all that stuff. So, so there was that business unit was in its infancy, but just starting. And this is 2013 um, when I joined. So, so there was that. He had a great guy running his life at this point, managing his overall sort of portfolio and health. And he asked me to come on to really do a couple of things. One, he was trying to think about how he was going to invest in startups and companies kind of outside of the Under Armour ecosystem. He's an entrepreneur at heart and he absolutely adores that space and just, he just wants to be involved. You know, he, he's got his blood. And I think, you know, at the time we were thinking about it, is we could add a ton of value, right? You got one of the most brilliant brand builders in the world, right? And, and we could do a lot. And as we started to kind of migrate over the next few years, it really took on, we were located in Baltimore. We found that we had a passion for the city of Baltimore and, and making it a better place to work, live, play. So we wanted our investments to reflect that and help that initially, which pros and cons. So, um, so anyway, you know, I get in there and right away, I, I was charged with, okay, figure out how we're going to participate in this, private equity, venture capital investment space. Oh, and I got this whiskey business and I'm about to start this real estate thing. A few people in there, they could use like an MBA running around with budgets and Excel spreadsheets and stuff. So go, go and do that. And I said, to that, you know, let's do it. So there I am, you know, now I've gone, you know, this military career, I had a, a fun time in the startup world managing that. And now I'm in this, you know, this billionaire, his family office in the very beginning. And it was a wild ride up to this point. I can pause there or can keep rolling. <laughs> and, until you until you met Greg and then you know. <laughs> yeah, right. like where have I been my whole life? Um <laughs> yeah. So it was so much cool. fun, man. So much fun. And I remember this there is this moment in from twenty 12, 2013 to 2017, 2016, 2017, where the stock, Under Armour stock was just on a tear. They were getting into the digital space. I was meeting all kinds of amazing people that were in that space through these acquisitions that the company had made. And, and it just seemed like we could do no wrong. And we were, we were getting deeper and deeper and deeper into these other investments that we were making. And it was just, it was crazy. And and some of the things that we, I look back and we accomplished, I mean, like when you, when you go through Port Covington, now Baltimore Peninsula in the city today, and you see what was built, I mean, when that was an abandoned rail yard, kind of, it does kind of take your breath away a little bit, right? Like you go, holy mackerel, we just like transformed this yeah. peninsula. It was, it was a crazy, crazy time. I had a blast. I learned a ton. We invested in all kinds of stuff, but more importantly, we looked at and did invest in thousands, literally thousands of deals. And I, I wish I had a focus, but it was imagine everything that someone who knew someone who knew someone that knew Kevin Plank could get in front of this guy. It routed right to me. I mean, spirits, businesses, movie scripts, hair products. Like, I mean, I think, I think just seeing the diversity probably helps you with what you're doing today because like there's so many things that translate over that if you just did software or whatever one industry, you're not going to even learn what you learned doing all, seeing all of those different things. 
Thanks for saying that, Peter. That's, I couldn't have said it better myself. Right. And it made me what I like to call a mile wide and a, hopefully more than a foot deep, maybe two feet deep. But I'm definitely a genetic Volkswagen's master of none versus having this sort of very specific sector focus. And if I could tell you how many share purchase streams I read, wrote a bunch, you know, did debt deals, did, you know, convertible notes, did lead stuff, followed the stuff. We were just all over the place until things, you know, kind of took their inevitable. Uh, there was a bit of a contraction there, obviously. And I don't think Under Armour stock coming back down is any, any surprise to anybody. You know, it had a, a very, very strong impact on the family office. When you go ride this huge wave and you come back down, the first first people to get scrutinized are like the ones who are distracting, you know, the founder, right? So so we started playing a different game, you know, 2016, 2017, you know. When you look at this, Damien, I mean, you've had, you've had this interesting career, right? Where you've worked with probably some of the best founders in the world, right? Some of the best entrepreneurs in the world, building iconic brands like Under Armour. And you've seen it on the other side and these individuals like yourself who have reached this absolute pinnacle of the military. When you think about that, like what, what are the common denominators that you see? You know, when you think about like those, those behavioral characteristics that make, that get somebody up to the top of the seals, right? Or you look at where Delta force or whatever, whoever it is, and you look at those attributes that make somebody like Kevin or, other other founders that are of that sort of stature, right? What what are those, what are the common characteristics? Where 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 do the parallels really exist? I think the number one thing is the belief that you can you can do it. Yeah. In the space of unrelenting adversity. Right. And I'd say, you know, more so when I as as I knew Kevin, his background, how he started the company, you want to talk about overcoming obstacles, man. The, the belief that they're just, you're just going to find a way. I used to say that all the time. Find a way. Just find a way. That always resonated with me the most because that's exactly, that's the core of what being a SEAL is. Back to basic underwater demolition SEAL training, BUDS for the seven people that don't know what that stands for now. But so when you think about what BUDS training is, right? One, it's super long. This military training is going to be the longest. It's mm -hmm. longer than you know, special forces training. It's long. And it's long in the sense that it is unrelentingly brutal and hard for the entire time. At no point is, does it ever become a gentleman's course until you, you get out. Right? I, I love to tell people I started my buzz class 209 with 164 people, 20 officers, 144 enlisted. At the end, we had nine enlisted and 11 officers. Oh, that original group started. It's not because, and I had professional triathletes, like Olympic swimmers. I had like, nobody is from the Midwest that had learned how to swim and they made it. And like, after boot camp. like there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just this, you, you have to acquire along the way, the idea that whatever you're being presented with, you can do it, you know? Mm. So I'll say it more broadly because this is a concept I've thought about a lot. And if I ever did read a book, it'd be something like this. Put a gun to anyone's head in the country. I don't care how big, slow, whatever, and say, move your body 26.2 miles or I'm blowing your head off. Like, you're going to get a lot of people running marathons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they would get done and they would be like, Phew. Holy mackerel. I ran a, I mean, I completed a marathon. I think about like, you know, Oprah Winfrey back in the day running a marathon. Like what would happen to her two, three years later, her car breaks down the side of the road, 20 miles to the next exit, middle of nowhere, doesn't have any help. What would go through her head if she was like, I got to get 20 miles, get gas. Is she going to be like, I'm done. No way I'll do that. No. She'd be like, I ran 26.2 miles. Be fine. Take it slow. You know? So this, when Buds did, was it pushes you so far beyond what you ever thought was physically possible to do it consistently across everybody. And, and you know, look, a lot of people 
there's a lot of reasons why there were nine and 11 at the end of my class. And, and, and most of them were people quitting. I mean, a lot of people quit for sure, but it's, you know, your knee didn't hold up, your back didn't hold up, like something bad happened and you got injured or, and you just never could quite recover. And then they rolled you out for too long. And then you kind of lost interest. And went back. There's a lot of reasons, but man, for the folks that you get through and you're like, there's no way I, I'm, I'm going to fail at doing this. And it just gets instilled in your, in your hard drive deep back in there. And I've seen that in the people who, you know, look, I've met a ton of successful founders, obviously Greg and Peter, you guys. And how many times have you guys done it where you're sitting around going like, oh man, we're about to go under. Like, oh, and then I, and then I pulled this little, you know, out of nowhere, got this contract and like it, and that turned the whole thing around, you know? And so yeah. like those stories, are all over the the startup and entrepreneurial world, founders world. And it's the people who get to that point and they're like, I think I can do it. We'll do one more try. <laughs> you know, so you know, Peter and I joke, we we've joked like for years about the fact that the only difference between us and guys who went out of business entirely is we were actually too dumb to realize that we had gone out of business. Just nobody told us. Like Everybody else knew we had failed. Nobody actually, like, nobody actually communicated that to us. So we just kept showing up. Next day we showed up to work. Let's go. That's right. I'm still fighting. That's They're right. like, with what? <laughs> you have nothing left. I think you're right. I think, you know, it is that, it is that level of, you know, resilience, right? I think that adaptability that is becomes so key to that founder's journey, right? As you know, in, in the same way that, we see all the time when so often founders, I think, get to that stage and you just start to overthink these things, right? You just start to overthink, what am I going to do, right? How do I solve this? How do I fix this problem? When really the answer is just show up again. You don't just keep going. Right? You don't, don't have to know that answer. You just have to not, not show up, right? Like, and somehow let that answer start to present itself kind of organically, right? It's when you sit there and you start to think these things, try to analyze this stuff to death that it's like, no, we, yeah, you know, you, you can't get out of your own way at that point. You can have like the smartest, most trained engineer or the biggest expert in your space and some idiot like us will show up and then we'll survive. And we maybe didn't know half the stuff when you started it, you know, and Half the time I started businesses, I had no business doing at all. Like I didn't know the industry. I didn't know what I was doing. Like you look back and you're like, I had no business. No wonder people treated me like that. <laughs> I got a chip in my shoulder. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to show you that I do it. And half the time I'm doing it for that. As you're, as you're talking, I mean, there's so many, there's so many parallels. I remember when I was, you know, in Bud's, I'm a young kid, you know, 20. And I mean, I, Everybody is like, this sucks. I don't know. I got better things I can do. But yeah, I mean, you always just say, I want to show up tomorrow morning and then I'll figure it out from there. Right. Like just, I'll just show up tomorrow morning. Right. I, um, many years ago, one of the first events that I ever got asked to go to as a, as like a, you know, a civilian charity event working stiff. Uh, you know, I put my one suit on, I go to this naval, it was like a special operations warrior foundation or something. Anyway, it was a charity event and they, they give, uh, it, was, it was a great, you know, initiative and they, they gave, they gave money to uh, the children of anyone fallen, they would fall in the service and line of duty, uh, college. And so I, I go to this thing and I'm sat at this table with a young kid who had a very famous older brother in the SEAL teams, I'll just leave it at that. And he was, you know, headed into, into SEAL training himself. And and he had a sponsor with him who was a very accomplished SEAL and had just gotten out. And, and, and you know, at the end of the dinner, there's 10 of us at this table and they asked me, hey, what advice do you have for this, this young guy? He's about to go to, go to Buds. And I said, you know, the, the biggest thing that you're going to struggle with, man, is, your, is thinking too far ahead. You got your brother in your mind and he was unfortunately, he was killed. He was, you know, was, he was killed in one of the more famous stories, but, um, you know, and like, you're going to be thinking about what team you're trying to get to. And like, I got a dude, it's going to, it's just going to kill you. 
Like, you know, you, you gotta focus on just show up the next day. You start thinking about where you're going to get assigned and like you start overthinking it. You know, to make it that I learned, you know, he didn't make it through. So, um, which is, which is really unfortunate, but I, I tell you, it's hard, right? Like I saw it with, with the kids that came through with really famous generals and admirals for fathers, mm-hmm. right? They get so wrapped up in the complexity down the road. I was too stupid. I'm like, I don't just, what if I show up tomorrow? I'm still here. Still here. Yeah. It's a, it's super, super interesting. I, what you just described is advice you could give to a founder, a first founder, like, yeah. like just thinking, oh, what am I going to do with exit? How much money are we going to make? I said, you, yeah, like they get wound up in cap tables and like, yeah, get all twisted over 2% and they're like, yeah, but you know how much I put into it? I'm like, nothing's going to happen unless you get up and do your job. Like all that is just. It, it's it's a distraction until the end, right? One of the things that has really amazed me, um, and you know, working with Damien now on a you know daily basis, with a you know with a company we're we're running together right now, and this goes, I think, to sort of the deme- the leadership demeanor, right? Is you know, I've been doing this for a long time, running businesses. This is a new area for you. Running business is not new for you, but it's a new, it's yeah. a new area for you. But one of the things that always blows me away is your, your sort of, think about how to say this delicate. This business has not always been easy, <laughs> and um, and yeah. you know some of the dynamics that we've dealt with have been challenging, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the demeanor, the calm, right? In that kind of. In those situations where I think a lot of people, myself included, will get really heated and, you know, it starts to escalate. I've been on so many meetings with you where you just have that ability to kind of bring down that tension. And one day you and I were joking about it and you sent me one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's Damien with a beard down to here. And you said something to the effect of like, when you've negotiated around this, the rest of it is easy, right? But, you know, and, and this was Damien actually negotiating with Taliban warlords. What you would say is like, man, you must have learned your negotiation skills with Taliban warlords. And I was like, well, I, I did. Here's a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. You know, talk, uh, but talk yeah. about that. I mean, is that intentional? Like, or is that, is that training or is that? Intentional or is that just your 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 personality? If either one of you can tell me the difference between what you think is something that was trained in you and something you've learned, I don't know. I it's it it, it just kind of is, right? Um, and I'll be the first to say I've lost my cool on you know on plenty of plenty of meetings. But I you know it's funny. I I generally don't lose my cool with people, and and the reason is that you kind of need to be the role that needs to happen for that moment. Like you, you, you gotta, you gotta be sensitive enough. And Greg, I've seen you do this more times than me, but you, sometimes it's, we don't, we don't need to tell people screaming, right? You, you might need it just to have, okay, well, let's tensions there. Let's bring it down a notch. Right. Um, and, and that's negotiation. one-on-one. Like, I mean, we're trying to get to the right outcome. We all know that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time with, you know, with folks in Afghanistan trying to build trust, trying to gather information, trying to do all those types of things. And as, as a younger guy, I mean, it was my late twenties, you know, I think you always just have this sort of end goal in mind. Like, is it going to be helpful if I lose my mind right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and Hey, look, cards on the table. Sometimes you can't help it. Like you get mm-hmm. super angry and you're like, I've been there. And I'm just like, you know, God, yeah, you know, and like, then you, then you always said, pull it back down. Okay. Hold on. Like, uh, this is, um, but yeah, no, it, it was, it was ingrained in me over there. The consequences of being over there were, were higher from the physical standpoint uh, <laughs> yeah. for a lot of people, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. It's yeah. for a lot of people and we do this stuff for software and money and it's a game in a way different and it does affect people, but not the same way. Yeah. It, and that's. And it's, it's such a good point, Peter, right? I mean, Damien and I have talked about this before too. Like 
the parallels between military and business are really interesting to look at, right? And the the leadership characteristics, the adaptability, the resilience, kind of all the things we've been, we've been, the mental toughness we've been talking about. But there is a break point, right? I mean, I guess, Damien, there's probably a question here somewhere, but d- does it get overdone? Like, you know, is there a point where, okay, but you... These are very different stakes. Stressful, yes. Anxiety provoking, yes. But very different stakes that you're dealing with. You know, if you're talking about that sort of parallel between the kind of the, the military side of it going over to the business side. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there because there's been I think a lot said on the on the subject. I will be the first to admit I'm a little behind on my reading list for folks that have written books on on the subject recently. I kind of tend to avoid this space as a rule, but um, uh, but there's probably some that I wouldn't mind perusing. I mean, I got some old friends that uh, have gone on to, to write write interesting books and they've done really well. And you know, we were these are friend guys that I knew knew well at one point and and um, and I have a lot of respect for. And so. So I think what people need to re- realize with the military is is a couple of things. One, and and, and this goes not just for the military. I mean, look, the the military style of of leadership uh, when it's packaged and presented to to the civilian world for consumption uh, to then integrate into the your leadership style, it's done in a way where you would expect that civilian founder to pick and choose the pieces right that are around right you know get up early start your day that kind of stuff i mean i know there's, there's guys out there that, that do spend a lot of time on like how you begin your day how you get organized like those are consistent themes and whether it's tony robbins or you know any of these other guys that do, that do that um you know, there's a lot of nuggets you pull out and then you try to incorporate those into your daily life. Where I think we get kind of sideways is when the the lessons of the military are distilled down into, you know, let's just say a combat environment or the opposite, right? A very ethereal environment of like command and control and you're never really down in that level. So I, I think when, when people take it too literally and they're like, okay, you know, I'm going to, trying to replicate this mindset, it could be problematic. Because just remember back at very first thing I was talking about going from, you know, the Navy SEALs to a, uh, the service industry, like people quit. Well, yeah. you know, well, see ya, I'm out. Peace out, man. Like, good luck, you know? So, um, like, and like, bro, I have this huge mission tomorrow. And they're like, nah, you problem, buddy. Yeah. So <laughs> I got tacos to get my friend. So, um, <laughs> you know, you, you got to keep that in mind. Like there's a, there's a, there's a balancing of the, 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 the humans and the environment you're in to cultivate that sort of stuff. I mean, not to say that doesn't happen in the military. It does. It just, it does it at a, at a much higher level. So I think, you know, when you spend too much time focused on like, how are you going to react when someone, you know, unloads an AK in your face, like, that's a great question. Um, just make sure that you're also saying, and then what would the campaign look like that you would organize to try to accomplish this long-term goal of X, Y, or Z? Right. right? And, and having those sort of conversations about all of that versus it being very like act, react, act, react. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I think the, the other thing is too, like, I know you and I have talked about this, like people aren't signing up for that. Right. So like when you're, you know, somebody takes a job working for a software company or working for a hospitality company or something, right? That That's not, I think that's where I see the parallel kind of really, because that it, it, that's where it falls apart, right? It's the person's like, oh, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm working from, I'm here for a nine to five job. Like that's yeah. kind of what I wanted. That's what but, I'm, I'm going to do the best job I possibly can during those hours. But yeah, and that's it. And like, right. You guys know, like the best employees are the ones that like really believe in what you're doing. And they're like, I want to be part of this team. And right. It's a badge of honor for the 
happy to to do the, do what you're doing, and your hard part is keeping it that way, for that, right? Right, and like yeah. trying to create an environment where it's still like, like mission driven and passionate, like you know we've heard from other people talking yeah. about, like Elon Musk uh, used to do the nine to five thing, but yeah, no, I hear that's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I look, I think, um, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's definitely a great lesson to be learned about building that culture look if you can pull it off and you can create an environment to your point peter everybody wants to be there um you know i've seen that in in great companies that i've been around um this idea that you know you instill in someone the belief that like if i don't come to work tomorrow this whole thing is falling apart Mm -hmm. and when they believe that they're that important to the organization uh that's to me like that's a great leadership component that you can give someone is believe they are so in tech integral to this but then you, you know you gotta be around to coach that person like hey take, take yeah. off it's okay like go get married yeah turn your phone off yeah, i've seen that too right like you have to then people buy in too much you're like oh you know yeah clear your mind it's very good to clear your mind yeah, yeah. you know that 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 parallel is a really interesting one right because it's when you see the the most successful companies and peter and i when we do these podcasts i mean there's there's always themes that emerge, right? But, and one of the things that we hear over and over, and I've experienced this firsthand, and so has Peter and every one of our businesses, you know, has always been the the ability to instill that mission, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to instill the purpose that we're doing something actually for a larger purpose than showing up to right. collect a paycheck. Or if you are just showing up to collect a paycheck, even that's for a higher purpose, right? Presumably. But, you know, but from an organizational standpoint, that there is a vision to what we're trying to do together. There is a mission that we're to go try to accomplish this thing larger than ourselves. And there's a plan to go achieve it. Right. And and I think, you know, at least again, I've never been in the military, but at least, you know, from my kind of very limited understanding of it, I mean, those those things are going to be completely consistent when, you know, and and when the mission breaks down, hmm. when people no longer understand, you know, like you look at Vietnam or anything like that, like when nobody understands what we're doing anymore, like what, hmm. why are we fighting this thing, right? Yeah. Same thing happens in a business where nobody understands, like where are we going? Why are we doing this? I don't even understand what I'm doing on a regular on a day to day basis. That's when it really falls apart. So so well said. Um, it's it's so well said. I, mean, I think that's something that I've I. I I've taken with me from, you know, the early days and brought forward this idea of being part of a mission. And it's a good segue, right? Because there's, there's a point that I hope everyone reaches. We talk a lot about like collecting a paycheck, being a part of something, whatever, you know, there's a point that everyone hopefully reaches and you hope that you reach it sooner or later. And then, you know, hopefully you have the, the financial sort of wherewithal or I've created uh, a financial environment around you and your family that allows you to do this, which is, you know, you start reorganizing your priorities of like where and why you're going to work on something. Right. Mm-hmm. And money starts to drop. Like, you know, and, and, and I don't mean that in a, like, Oh, when you're super rich, you know, you ever, it's not, not at all. Um, I think it's creating and knowing the importance of like, these are the things that matter to me. My life. Like one, I, I want to, you know, I want to be around for my kids. I want to know what's going on. I want to be an active parent. Um, you know, there's, there's a component there, right? And, and hopefully people that have children, you know, to the best of their ability, uh, do that. Um, you know, I know my, da- my dad did and, and it, it was great, you know? So, and then you start thinking about like, well, don't I, I want to, what I'm doing to matter, you know? And I, I think back to, as, as, as I was beginning of this talking a lot about what we did at Sagamore in, 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 you know, in the, in the Kevin Blake's family office world, everything we did started to really be focused on it have it matter and i i would you know i didn't keep the, i didn't it was money's nice and all that, but when you start to believe in this mission like what we're doing as an actual purpose um it's just it's so powerful and then of course last but not least you really got a lot of people you're around right and so if you create this environment of you know everyone's bonded together we're all sharing this common purpose this common goal it allows to have those connections which are which are great. And I, you know, when I met Greg the first time and got, I hadn't seen Jason or another gentleman or mutual friend in a while, 
And we all kind of said at the same time, like, we're at the point where we just want to look people like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, I would just say, like, get to that part quick <laughs> because, uh, you know, focusing on the paycheck. Uh, yeah. Just change your lifestyle. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I found like the exhaust of you doing things like with people you like that you want to do is the, the money comes back in the outcome of that, right? Instead of focusing on that, if yeah. you focus on doing what you, you know, what you really love to do with people you love to do it with, the, it's just the exhaust of it. That's the perspective shift, right? That I think you, you, you know, it's unfortunate. Like there are, there are lessons I think you learn later in life. I'm 50, <laughs> yeah. 47, yeah. like you said, Peter's like 73, 74, I think. Um, 80. Not a show goes, 80. Not a show goes by where Peter doesn't get insulted about his age. I think he's he's yeah. like three months older than me, but I just. Not three years, man. That's right. But I think, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things that I think it's, it's one of those unfortunate realities that you do. It takes way too long to learn that lesson, right? Yeah. You know, we spend all of these years kind of building things that, you know, in a way that's not particularly satisfying, right? And then you get to a point and it's like, oh, I now I want to spend the, you know, my other years kind of doing this. I think the earlier that you can learn that lesson, right? The earlier where you can find the real meaning and what it is that you're actually trying to build, I think is is something that we, I know it took me way too long to learn that. I learned it fast enough. So you're always going to say it took too long because you right. can't mess it up, right? And yep. so you just got to remind people that get to that part um, because you have to be patient too, you know, with yourself, like you got to go through a journey to get there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't have perspective from not doing anything. Yeah. You know, so sure. in our, in our final couple minutes here, Damien, what, what's, what's next for you? I know you and I are doing the next thing right now, which is, um, you know, we're working on a, uh, working out a mutual portfolio company that we have, um, called Conquer, which is in the sales enablement space. Why don't you guys explain what an operating partner is? Because some people listening to this may not know what that is. Yeah, no. I think we're still trying to figure it out. I don't know. Damien, do what are we doing? Do you have an idea what we're doing? Yeah. So, look, I think that a lot of, uh, of prime equity firms out there start to bring on partners that they call operating partners. Um, and the distinction between, you know, let's just say like a general partner or someone who's on the purely investment side versus operating is they would expect that operating partner to have operating experience, right? So um, we come in as more of, hey, um, I'm not gonna really ask you to do tons of diligence um, or you know assembling a deal and getting into the nitty gritty on how we find the source deal or, or diligence it or maybe even deploy capital or price it. Um, but what I would love for you to do is to dive in, uh, maybe, maybe sort of pre um, acquisition and go, okay, what do you think? Get under the hood, check nuts and bolts, make sure that, um, you know, give us an assessment of how the thing's running. Uh, and then of course, after the fact, sometimes, you know, you, you get parachuted in to, to just really spend a lot of time there kind of doing, doing, doing some of the doing, right? Like the hands-on um, shifting inside of organization. And Greg and I have been fortunate enough to be doing a lot of that now. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's also, we've got a lot of, there's a changing macro environment around us. Um, we're pivoting for that. You know, it's, um, there's a lot of factors going. It's not necessarily always uh, like company yeah. driven. I mean, you, you pivot to other stuff. So, you know, operating partners, just that, right? Like you are ready to operate inside the business um, or, or pontificate on how that business is operating versus purely investment. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think a lot of people don't understand that that's, that's a role out there. Yeah, well, neither did Greg and I. So we just, we, we just, <laughs> yeah. you could deploy. So, and Demi, I mean, that's really, that's where you're spending your time. These said, I know with me on, uh, you know, working on Conquer as well as, uh, as well as some other, um, some other interesting stuff that you've got going on as well with, uh, within, within and, and also outside of Kim Partners, which is the private equity firm that both you and I are associated with. That's right. Yeah. Um, that was the question there, but I'll tell you, that's, that's it. And we're, we're enjoying it. I mean, I think there's a, a, a little sprinkling of projects that um, I'm finding that the, uh, the unique skill set of former Navy SEAL, current investment specialist 
is uh, I'm sort of bubbling up to certain to see. Um, probably too early to talk about on this podcast, but um, you know what they are. So maybe in like four months, we'll have another podcast. Like, all right, so how how that happen? What you gonna? Yeah, be an interesting follow up to this one pretty soon. Um, yeah. How uh, Damien? How do people get in contact with you? Somebody wants to connect with you. Um, you know, outside of the outside of the podcast, it's kind of standard stuff. LinkedIn and stuff like that. Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, I just finally updated my profile for being berated. I noticed that, by the way. I noticed that this morning when I was uh, getting ready for the podcast. Yeah. Um, now, now here's the here's the one thing I learned. This um, one of the companies I'm working with, I had to actually testify multiple times to get cross examined. Super fun. So I was getting uh, cross-examined by the uh, United States Trustee's Office. And, you know, they, they were asking me always off-the-wall questions about my LinkedIn profile and if I still worked here. And I realized that when I went home and Googled my name, I just take my name and punch it into Google. Like the first two hits are like old cache things that are completely irrelevant. So and what, the number one was like the wrong LinkedIn profile. So um, if you find a LinkedIn profile with no pictures and two people following me, it's not the right one, even though it's the first hit in Google. So... Keep looking in there. Um, see my smiling face. I've got a great AI generated photo. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I've got, you'll see my face in the photo. It talks about what I'm really doing with Camden Partners, with, uh, with, with, with Tessame, with Conquer, with you know a few other groups. So um, that's the best way. And uh, yeah, love to chit chat. I'm always up for, if you're in my area, uh, I, I do consume beers from time to time. So if you're interesting enough, I don't know, send me, send me something. We'll grab a beer in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, yeah, not we always chit-chat on the phone or Zoom or one of these other many ways that we can connect as humans nowadays, virtually. Great. <laughs> yeah, Damien, this is a great, uh, it's a great time. Um, really appreciate you telling the story. I think it's, uh, you know, it's one that this is just a different perspective than, you know, I think there's just, there's a lot of the kind of the romanticism of this stuff that's out there. And I think this is a really just, you know, interesting interesting story to tell that um you know it's just infinitely fascinating i think for, you know for people on the kind of that that have never been in this world because there are the, you know so many ideas of what it is and and those parallels yeah. i think this is uh this is a really interesting one so appreciate you being on the podcast and uh look forward to doing it again can't wait my friends great seeing you greg peter as always yep enjoy talk soon cheers cheers